is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and author and an executive coach. And today I am over the moon excited to welcome back Sally Helgeson to the show. Sally will offer practical ways to build more inclusive relationships, teams, and workplaces. Sally, welcome back. Thank you, Caroline. It's wonderful to be with you again. Oh my goodness. I am so excited about the new book. And I want to put this in context for our global audience. I was sharing with you giddily before the show that one of my favorite books that you wrote is called How Women Rise. And I I literally gift that to so many women in in my orbit. And the new book is really a bit of a a follow-up, if I can say that. And the title of the book is Rising Together, How We Can Bridge Divides and Create a more inclusive workplace. And I know you're on the forefront of women's leadership development and helping organizations get it right. But what I'm hearing in the trenches, Sally, people need practical, implementable ideas. And that's what this book is all about. So give us the story. What propelled you to write this book? Well, what propelled me to write this book was I had been invited to deliver a women's leadership program at the Construction Super Conference in Las Vegas. This is shortly before the pandemic, so it was in person. And, um, you know, there were about 6,000 men there. And the conference organizers told me to expect in this breakout that I was doing about 100, possibly 150 women interested in developing their leadership style to be more effective in this very male-dominated industry. So when I went down to my room uh, in the morning, I was astonished to find uh, about 300 participants and about 70% of them were men. So I was not only astonished, but I was not prepared because I was going to give very tactical advice for women. So I started asking the male participants, why did you come? Because it really surprised me. And I heard something that did not surprise me, which was, you know, we're having more, we have a much more diverse leadership pool to draw from, and we need to get better at attracting and retaining talented women. But then one of the men stood up and he said, please do not waste your time telling us why we need to get good at this. We get it. We understand. What we don't understand is how to do it. We don't have a clue. So I thought in that moment, that is my next book, The How of diversity. And that's what Rising Together is about. Mm, what a great story. Super set up. And, and it really is, Sally, it's like a playbook. You know, you can flip through it and, and go to a scenario that happens in real time. And you've set it up in such a beautiful way. You talk about triggers. So before I, I pass the baton to you to give a few examples of triggers, help us understand what triggers are and, and why they matter in this conversation. 
Well, triggers are very important to this conversation, and it's one of the reasons that we can't always or that we may struggle to build relationships with people, with team members, with other people in our organizations who we may perceive as being different than we are. We have a good idea of how to do this, but then we're in a situation where we feel triggered by something someone says or something someone does that makes us feel alienated, different from them, less than, more than, whatever it is. So that emotional response is really what keeps us stuck. So what I've tried to do in triggers is to identify ways of addressing these situations that are more effective. Because guess what? Triggers are everywhere. They are environmental. They are not something that we can prevent necessarily. We are all triggered by certain things. And the, the, the important thing and what really is effective is knowing how to respond either very specifically or more generally to something that gets you, uh, gets your juices flowing. So I believe what I hear you saying is that tr- being triggered is, is part of the human condition. And, and that's not the problem, but it is how we respond and how we move forward and uh, navigate those triggers. Is that accurate? That's very accurate, Caroline. And for example, when we feel triggered by something someone has said, or, you know, one of the triggers, for example, is visibility. We can feel triggered by someone who's very good at positioning themselves to be visible, and we feel that we're not. When we're triggered by them, we may tell ourselves a story. Oh, that person is such a showboat or whatever. Whatever that story is that we tell ourselves to try to feel better. So really the problem is not the trigger, it's the story, because that's kind of a rationale. Even worse is when we use that story to try to bond with other people. You feel that you weren't noticed in a meeting and someone else sucked up all the air. So on the way out, you grab a friend who you know or believe may have had the same experience with that same person and say, oh, so-and-so is always mouthing off or whatever it is we say about them. So that's an example, a really vivid example of how triggers can be highly ineffective because then we have no chance to learn from the person who, after all, is good at something we are not good at. uh, And we keep ourselves stuck with a kind of negative story that doesn't move forward and creates a kind of almost toxic relationship with someone. It's a toxic way of networking with someone based on the resentment we feel when we're triggered. Mm, What a good example. So Sally, there are eight triggers in the book, but, but honoring the brevity of this episode, pick one or two that you would like to uh, further illustrate. And, and again, what I love, love, love about this book is it is solution focused and it's very tactical to give the reader clear ideas about how they can navigate through a trigger. 
Exactly. And that's always my quest when I write a book. How can I be as tactical and as practical as possible rather than theoretical? Let me share my leadership model with you or something like that. So that's very, very much what I'm trying to do. So we talked a little bit about this very common trigger of visibility where we're triggered by someone who's better at it. Sometimes people who are very good at visibility are also triggered by people who aren't. They feel, well, so-and-so's not a player. They're not trying uh, very hard. If they can't talk about what they've contributed, I'm not going to necessarily help them. So that's one of the triggers, and it's really foundational. Uh, Another trigger is fairness, this response of, it's not fair. My contributions aren't acknowledged. It's not fair. This other person got a promotion. They got a pay increase, et cetera. It's not fair. Guess what? It may not be fair, but it happened. And what we need is a way to respond, again, a way to respond that serves us. We may not know the full story, for example. In the book, I um, uh, outline the story of a woman that I interviewed where a man had gotten the promotion she had believed was due her to head up this team of which they were both a part. And she decided it was because he was a man. It may well have been, but there were other factors one of which was he happened to be very good at the specific things that the people who chose him, the head of the division, were looking for, where she not only wasn't particularly good in them, but had very little interest in becoming so. So it was a suitability question to some degree, also possibly a gender question, But what she did was she really kept herself stuck by deciding this was just a question of a man being promoted over her. In other words, it's not fair. And um, finally, the relationship she had with him as a fellow team member and now uh, her boss became so challenging and difficult that she decided to let him know. She chose to do so in a very humorous way, which I won't share because getting into the detail would take a little bit of time, but it's very funny. So she chose to do that and provoked a conversation with him in which, number one, she learned what some of these other factors were. Number two, she was able to have uh, bring some real authenticity to their relationship so that it began to improve dramatically. And number three, and perhaps most importantly, she was able to enlist him as an ally in helping her to identify what she wanted to do that was in line with not just her skills, but her interests. And it ended up being really the turning point in her career. She went from success to success because she was focused on what she was good at. She was able to articulate that. So it's an example of, you know, once again, don't necessarily buy into the story you are telling yourself. Look for other answers. And guess what, Caroline? This is what I've really found in working with triggers is 
even if the story you're telling yourself is true. Telling yourself a slightly different story, revising the script, gives you a much stronger path forward. Mm, I love, love, love that. You know, it's interesting, Sally, you said a few things that I want to re-articulate for this global audience. Triggers, you get stuck. And the beauty here of, of the other side is reframing. Like you said, revise the script, be curious. And that liberates an opportunity for new behaviors, which for me was the brilliant takeaway in your book. Thank you. Sally, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. Hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So we mentioned that there are eight triggers that you outline in great detail in the book. Might you pick one more to illuminate? Certainly. uh, Communication is a big trigger, and it's very, very common, where people have different cultural backgrounds, so they may communicate in different ways, and they can tell themselves a story about why others communicate in one way or why they do. For example, some cultures, and I do a lot of work, I um, do a lot of work all over the world, and there's certainly cultures where talking about your achievements, for example, isn't really considered being appropriate. So people struggle to do that. Then they find themselves in a global company, for example, where people are really expected to speak up about what they contribute. And it's very difficult for them to do that. I find sometimes they feel disloyal to their family of origin as if they're um, resisting all the lessons they got growing up. So it becomes very, very difficult to do that. So again, we can tell ourselves a story. You know, this group of people is always bragging. This group of people cannot stop talking about themselves. But then we don't really learn how to do it. Just because somebody talks in a way that we wouldn't necessarily be comfortable speaking doesn't mean that we can't learn from them. If someone says, you know, I had the client eating out of my hand, we can say something like, I really bonded with this client. 
So there are lots of ways that we can learn from people who have different communication styles. And I think this is really, really important because it is essential in a very diverse and global environment to be able to value what other people are concerned with. This operates especially across age gaps. And I hear this all the time in my work. People who are in the boomer cohort, oh, these young people just don't get it. They can't communicate. They're always staring at their phone. Younger people talking about how laborious and pompous and self-focused boomer generation or below can be. So again, we bring some judgments to it and it doesn't serve us. It doesn't help us to learn and it prevents us from doing something that's really, really important in addressing triggers, which is giving other people the benefit of our goodwill. And that's one of the things that rewriting the script enables us to do. Mm, I love that. The benefit of our goodwill. Sally, you seem almost skeptical, and I'll use that word, about the focus on unconscious bias in all of the DEI training, which is very top of mind in organizations these days. Tell this global audience why, because I'm, I'm fascinated by your thoughts here. Yeah, there are a couple reasons, Caroline. First of all, I've just had too many clients say, we rolled out unconscious bias Uh, training initiatives for our top 3,000 executives worldwide, and it didn't really move the needle on making our organization not only more diverse, but better at incorporating diverse perspectives. So I've heard too many failure stories about this to believe that it is necessarily Um, effective or should be, and I think this is more important, should be our default method. The second reason is that people don't tend to judge us on the thoughts that are running through our heads. They judge us on our behaviors. And this is the question that that executive at the Construction Super Conference was asking. How do we do that. If we sit around with other people and surface our unconscious biases, even if we have profound insights about about them or into them, it doesn't help us understand how to operate, how to address other people, and how to deal with the triggers that can get in our way. So I believe that a focus on behaviors rather than biases is likely to be very effective either in place of unconscious bias training, if it's not working, or if it is working, as an adjunct to it. What people think is not necessarily our business, but how they act how they behave, and how they treat others is in organizations and on teams. So I think it's wiser to focus there. And there hasn't been much focus 
in that direction. And it's one of the things that impelled me also to write Rising Together. I love that because it really changes the concept as, uh, pardon me, a call to action, right? Behavior. How do we act? How do we conduct ourselves in this space versus thinking about it and doing it? That's exactly right. As one executive said to me about the bias training, he said, we did it and we had some very good responses. But at the end of the day, it was all aha moment without the now what. So that's the limitation of that focus on thinking and theory rather than having practical ways. Here's how you can get better at talking to people you believe might be different than you are, at communicating. Here's how you can diffuse triggers around issues such as humor that are very, very common. Here are some concrete, specific, and actionable behaviors that can help you move the needle. Sally, you and I share a dear friend in Marshall Goldsmith, and it was a delight to see that he wrote the foreword in your new book. Tell me a little bit about your collaborative efforts with him. I've so enjoyed the wonderful video series on LinkedIn in promotion of the book, but tell me more about working with Marshall in this context. Certainly, I will. Marshall and I have been friends and colleagues for nearly 30 years. Uh, I'm a big fan of what got you here won't get you there. And so when I realized that I didn't think that the habits and behaviors he focused on were necessarily all that appropriate for women or reflective of a lot of women's experiences, and I suggested we collaborate on a book that updated that model for women, he said yes. How Women Rise was the result. It has been a fantastic partnership. And with Rising Together, uh, it, it was really interesting because when I was thinking about what eventually became the triggers, uh, I was calling them in my mind stumbling blocks, but it seemed a little dull and it kind of didn't get at the emotional and the reactive nature of what can hold us back. Uh, in highly diverse environments. And then one morning I was in a meeting with Marshall and he was talking about triggers. And I thought, wow, that's what it is. He'd written a book called Triggers. It's a fantastic book. And where he talks about how they're environmental uh, and therefore we can't necessarily control them. So I said, Marshall, you know, last time I collaborated with you, but this time I'd just like to rip that idea off and use it, repurpose it for (laughs) a book about relationships. And he said, Sally, what a great idea. You know how positive he is. So that was really, I think, key because the triggers get a lot of attention. So once again, Marshall was an instrumental partner in uh, in helping me be able to um, to put some of these ideas out into the world. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I I treasure you both, and I learned so much from you today, Sally. And I I love the book. Let me tell this global listening audience the title. It is called Rising Together: 
how we can bridge divides and create a more inclusive workplace. And of course, it is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But Sally, if you would be so kind, this global audience is hungry to connect with you. So how might they do that? Well, certainly, I'm a very easy person to connect with. My website, uh, sallyhelgeson.com, has a contact button. People from all over the world routinely contact me on it. I get all those emails, and I respond to them. I can't always help people, but I always respond. Uh, I also have a newsletter on Substack and LinkedIn. Uh, called All Rise, and uh, love to see new subscriptions, although it's it's completely free. And, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, so I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Sally, thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation today, and I'm deeply grateful that you shared your wisdom and expertise. And I love the new book, and I hope to see you in person soon out on the circuit, and I wish you continued success. Thank you, Caroline. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I'd love to hear from you, so let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.